Hello, Tony here, and welcome to another edition of the TSE Podcast. As usual, I got together with my co-conspirators, John Bicknell and Stuart Glanville, to discuss the making of the third track on our debut album, I Can See Your Face. So, without further ado, let's get straight into the podcast, and I'll start off by asking Stuart the first question. So, um, Stuart, we're going to talk today about um, I Can See Your Face, a very personal song for you. So, my first question, right at the very start, is that, as I previously said, this is a very, very personal song. But perhaps you can give us some insight into the meaning behind the lyric before we discuss the music. Yeah, I can. Um, it's, it's, um, I'll try and keep it brief, but there's a there's a story behind this. And I think it's only fair to our listeners to give you some idea of what the story is. Um, I met and later married a girl in, uh, I met in 1987 called Helen. Um, and... Um, yeah, we, we we spent we had twenty seven years together. Unfortunately, in two thousand and twelve, uh, Helen was diagnosed with a quite an aggressive lung cancer, and um, she was given six months to live. But she was a tough old bird, and uh, she lasted two years. I I retired from work and everything, and uh, to look after her for those two years. And um, during that time, it I'll go into this in more detail. But during that time, some of the lyrics were that I wrote this song about were, were um, you know, a reflection on my time looking after her. And uh, she eventually died in 2014. Um, I found in the months and probably the, the first year after her passing that I couldn't remember easily the little foibles about her, i.e. her the tone of her voice and her smell of her skin and that sort of thing. Um, but I found then, as the years have gone by, and it's now nearly 10 years since she passed, um, I found after a while that I began to remember the little things uh, that, that about her. Um, and, you know, that's basically the premise of the song. So it was, uh, it was an emotional thing, but it struck me as the nature of grief can be many, many fold. You know, there's there's physical grief, there's mental grief, there's all sorts of grief. And I, I spoke to a lot of people at the time who were going through similar things, um, or not a lot of people, but a few people at the time that were going through similar things. And they all, you know, it all came back to this. Grief is really weird. And, and my experience is not unique. A lot of people that have lost someone special to them, they do go through this. It, you, you do kind of after a while, it all comes back to what someone was like. So yeah, that's the background to I Can See Your Face. Yeah, but how did the lyric idea develop? Um, did it come to you immediately? Um, were there any drafts or changes, or was it just a flash, and then suddenly all the lyrics were there in your head, and you wrote them down? Um, and what was the inspiration for the imagery that you describe in the song, I can see your face, I can hear your voice from here? Where did those ideas come from? Yeah. Well, um, it didn't come in a flash. It was quite a this one was quite hard to write. And I remember coming up with a few bits. The, the initial idea was I can see your face and I can't remember where that came from, but um, I just felt that it was so strong that um, Squeeze wrote a really fantastic song, 
Chris Difford wrote called Some Fantastic Place. And we played that at Helen's funeral because the words were so amazing and it was so poignant and so much about um, it felt so right. So there was a little inspiration from Chris and his amazing lyrics in that song in this. But I, I, I remember just thinking about you can't see someone's face anymore because they're not with us anymore. They're, they've, they've ascended to the spiritual plane. So that was the initial thing. And then it just it just sort of followed on and things started falling into place with it. The first, ver- and I'll go into this in more detail, but the first verse was about um, when I was looking after her, the second verse is after she's gone. And the choruses, as I said, well, choruses, the, the I can see your face lines were really, um, the imagery was pretty straightforward. It's just about the fact that I couldn't picture her in my head properly to start with, and then after in time I could. Yeah, that's it. I think that that's um, kind of um, a form of PTSD, isn't it? Really, you know. Um, yeah, you kind of block it out, and uh, and it comes back to you at a much later date. I mean, never been through that kind of experience apart yeah. from with my parents, Stu, but. Um, I think Tony will confirm that the first time we heard your uh, vocals to this song, uh, you know, I must, I must uh, confess, I shed a tear. You know, um, it was, yeah. it was, it was fantastic imagery in there. Do you remember? I remember recording it with you in with you and Ray that time in in the early one of the early iterations of the song. I'm, recorded it in Hazelmere and Ray recorded my vocal and I was really broken up at that time. And you're right, because I did get diagnosed with PTSD later on. Um, and I went to see a counsellor and, and I got over it eventually, but it was a hard time. Mm. Um, and yeah, recording it that day, I remember at Ray's, I was in, I was in bits, even, even singing it. I really couldn't sing it right. It was too emotional. So it was it was the right thing to do to come back to this song, and I'm sure Tony will talk about the musical journey of that. Of I can see your face as a musical piece because it started life very differently to how it's ended up. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's that's true. Um, the musical background was I started to write this using acoustic guitar, and I wrote the verses and I wrote all the choruses and I wrote it completely on an acoustic guitar, um, and we weren't working together at the time. And I sat in my room actually here, um, Kedfig in Essen, um, and I fleshed out the entire idea of the song. And my original idea was to record it as an acoustic piece. Um, at that time, it was going to be just completely, uh, purely instrumental piece of music. And I really didn't think about the chords, the structure of the song, verse, chorus. So I focused primarily on, um, on just writing the song. Then I thought, hmm, um, I don't really have a really good studio. It's very hard for me to record acoustic guitar here and make it actually sound very good. Plus, of course, I was writing the song in sections, so I couldn't really play it fluently. And also some of the parts that I'd actually written quite difficult to play. So I thought the easiest thing to do would be to transpose the whole thing into MIDI and make it a piano piece. Um, that was quite difficult because I'm not musically trained. So what, in fact, I actually ended up doing was almost note by note working out what I played on guitar and then actually playing it on a MIDI keyboard and recording it into, I was using Logic Pro X um, at the time as my, as my door. So um, that's how the song came about. Um, and then I kind of fleshed out the arrangement and thought it was going to be a traditional pop song and then added um, some rhythm and some drums to it. 
And then um, the song had formulated as such with the keyboards. And that's when I presented it to um, to you and John, because by this time we'd already started to get yeah. together and working on Angels. So we were working on Angels. And then I thought, oh, I've got this other song. Um, and then I remember I just sent it across to... Uh, to you, Stuart, and to you, John. And I, I don't know, um, yeah. John, what you thought when you first heard it. Well, I thought it was a fantastic piece of music. Um, and obviously, Stuart um, putting some vocals to it. Uh, I think I may have done the bass part on that before the vocals. I'm not sure. Um, but they did, uh, the bass line did change a fair after Stuart put his vocals on. Because yeah. Um, yeah, an, another question we'll probably come to is, uh, you know, uh, how I decided what sort of approach yeah. to take on the song. But, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I just thought it was a great instrumental piece of music. I thought Stuart's um, lyrics and vocal melody were fantastic. I mean, as I've told you guys, I was listening back to some old demos earlier today. And uh, it's always been there, you know, that that feel and that emotion has always been there from day one. And I think all we did really by turning it into an orchestral piece um, was improve on it. I do remember then um, when um, going back to what you said earlier on, John, is that it was quite emotional. I remember listening to Stuart's lyric for the first time um, and um, yeah, I know you're no, we, played it, we, we played it upstairs. <laughs> I played it on, on my iPhone to Bettina, yeah. and then we did bring a tear to both our eyes because it was just so emotional. Um, yeah. And that was the other question that I had is because I sat on my own writing the music. Yeah. Um, I'm not a lyricist, um, so I don't really write songs. I write lots of music. Um, I just wondered how the music, uh, Stuart, did it kind of move you or did it inspire you? Um, how, di how did the marriage happen between your idea and a lyric? And the music, did it happen as soon as you heard the music or was it something you'd be, this lyric had been something you'd been working on a long time and the music was a happy accident? That's a great question. And I I mentioned obviously that what the song's about um, and, and in the early days of um, my musical development in sort of the late 80s when I first met Helen, I was, I, I was in a band then and I wrote two or three, maybe a half a dozen songs which were inspired by Helen and um, one of them was Mr Heartache which we're going to come to later in this series of podcasts because that's on the album as well Mr Heartache was written on a beautiful summer's day sitting on Ealing Colin with Helen and I'll, I'll talk about that some other time I Can See Your Face was the very last song I wrote about my my late wife and I will never write another song about her but it, it kind of like felt at the time in 2016 it felt, I felt like I wanted to write something to just remember her because at that time I was really struggling. And the music that you sent over to me that I got for Face, really immediately I felt this is a ballad, this is a ballad all day long. And although there were drums, there, there, were, there was a, quite a bit of rhythm in it at that time and it was, quite a, it was a lot more upbeat almost. It just felt yeah, I need to do something with this. And I had some germ of idea about I can see your face, but it started to develop from there. And it really was, again, one of those ones where what, what I'm good at is listening to a piece of instrumental music and coming up with a melody for it, coming up with lines that, that, that you know, that, that work, that aren't too busy and the, and the timing works. And it just fell into place beautifully with this. So 
yeah, that's the story, really. So you didn't write the lyrics until basically during listening to, to Tony's music? No. I, I thought you had the lyrics um, for quite a while before the music came along. No, I didn't. I didn't. I, I had the idea of I Can See Your Face, and I had that verse. Of, I, I jotted down something about... Um, it, the the first chorus it fell apart at the seams and like so many broken dreams, and I had I had some I had this idea about I, the song should start should um, start with the idea of um, saying that the for example the first chorus or the first um, repeat of the the actual hook line is I can't see your face because you know, I'd been through this hell and i couldn't remember the final chorus if anyone has noticed it listening to the song on the album is i can see your face now That was the whole point of it, it just it was a very simple idea and i just thought i gotta put that into words somehow and the only way of doing it was to use really simple words because the best ideas are often the most straightforward, aren't they? Yeah. So, yeah, that was it. Yeah, we did actually have um, musically. Um, I remember the third verse, if we're going to try and classify the song into verse, chorus, verse, chorus. Um, it did have quite a, had a rhythm section. Um, I can't remember the conversation. Perhaps um, mm. both of you can remember, but we decided to completely drop that. Um, who came up with that idea? I'm gonna I'm gonna take absolute responsibility for this because there was a moment in time, and and what it was, I was driving through Bournemouth. We we're going down to Camford Cliffs Beach with the dog, um, Claire and I, and I was listening to radio, and this song came on that I hadn't listened heard for a while, and it's by the very very brilliant Kate Bush, and the song is called um, "Moments of Pleasure." And it's one of my all-time favourite songs, and it's a beautiful orchestral piece that she, I mean, she's a genius and she can sing so beautifully. And listening to Moments of Pleasure, I remember driving in the car and I remember turning to Karen going, I've got to make face like this. We've got to make face, completely drop everything, make it orchestral. So it was purely in, inspired by Moments of Pleasure. And I remember saying to you, Tone, at the time, sorry, Tony, I shouldn't call you Tone. Um, I remember saying to you at the time, <laughs> I remember saying to you at the time, look, this has got to be instrumental and listen to moments of pleasure. And you did listen to it and you said, oh yeah, I see where you're going with this. But then you said, oh my God, this is going to be such hard work because I've never done this before. So it really stretched you. I know it did, but oh my word, what a brilliant result. You just smashed it out of the park with this arrangement. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. I, I, I do remember being slightly worried. I was always convinced that the song needed to move on a bit and needed some impetus towards the end. And I was a bit sceptical about the whole idea of dropping uh, a rhythm section. In fact, I think what happened was that you suggested it, and I remixed it, and I just you tried did. to make them quieter. <laughs> I think you left yeah. a light symbol in there, and one of, there's like a ting, ting, ting in there. And I went, no, 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 no drums, no drums. And you were going, really? Are you sure? And I said, yeah, honestly, trust me. And I remember when John came to put bass on it, he was going, this is really hard to do, guys. When I add, as I said, you know, uh, the original the original version was uh, much more percussive. You know, we had the drum part. I, I mean, I sent it over to you guys earlier. Um, we had a, the second half of the song is actually to a, to a rhythm. You know, it's to a drum beat. Um, 
And I was horrified when Stuart decided to, uh, let's cut out all the drums. And I said to Tony, I said, yeah, okay, we'll cut out, we'll cut out the drums, but leave them in so that I can track the bass to them, you know, because I, I you know, I'm, otherwise I'm going to be trying to follow Stuart's vocal line, which although perfect, you know, varies, varies in certain phrases and timing and it, an absolute nightmare to try and follow on the bass, which is what I wanted to do. So you sent me over a tracking version with uh, with the uh, with the drums still on, and I recorded a part to that, and it didn't work. It didn't work. So I said, "Look, look, guys, let me do this again. I, I need to do this as um, as going by feel rather than a click track or a rhythm or whatever. You know, I need to listen to what." Stuart singing I need to listen to the orchestral parts and I need to interweave the bass into those and that's what I did it took a long time but uh Tony managed to um tidy it up and sort out all the timing errors and bum notes and, and it came out perfect the greatest compliment I think I can give you John on on the the bass in this song is that actually in the final mix and the final mastered version it you don't notice it it isn't intrusive but if you suddenly listen and, and make a point of listening to the bass you think oh my goodness he's really he's got this it really does it, it couldn't have been any better for that song and that was because um every little inflection of your vocal line i i followed as mm. as closely as i could so when at the end you go now I can see your face. You, you, I mean, the bass, yeah. the bass does that as so it goes. And it took me a long time to get that right. It was really good. But I'm glad I took the time on it, you know, that's because uh, it, it worked out. I mean, I can listen to the song. I listened to the song today and I can listen to it. It's probably the only song on the album that I could listen to. And I'm not listening to what I'm playing. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, I mean, it is just a complete, yeah. it's a complete piece. Uh, and the bass is kind of, uh, it's an accompaniment rather than something that should be noticed. Uh, and it all works perfectly with the instrumentation that Tony used on the song, with your vocal melody. Um, everything slotted perfectly into place on that one, for me anyway. My proudest moment with the bass, I think. Okay. It was, a, it was a lovely bass. I remember actually we tried to talk you into buying a fretless bass, if I remember. Stuart and I were, were, were messaging um, to you and saying, oh, John, buy a fretless bass. Come on, buy a fretless bass, dude. Um, um, I managed to compensate for it a little bit. I remember that uh, one of the... I'm going to do a mixed breakdown of all our songs eventually. I know I keep threatening to, but I will actually do that because it's interesting. Uh, well, it's interesting for us, maybe not for anyone else, but, you know, who knows. Um, and I added a very, very deep chorus effect um, to the choruses, or at least to some of the sections of the song. I tried my best to try and emulate or fill in for a fretless bass. And actually, I think, I think, I think it worked quite well. Sorry, yeah, the flanging effect that you put on the bass kind of emulated a, a fretless for me. But to buy a fretless bass would have been uh, just for that song. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not Sting. You know, so uh, thank God. So yeah, so what we what we needed to do, we got that lovely Fender sound, 
and you put some nice chorus effects and some some uh, flange or something on it or phasing on it totally. So in the higher register bass notes, it sounds like a fretless. Absolutely, it sounds really re- sounds really really good. Um, I remember um, um, talking about the orchestral arrangement, how we went from a pop ballad to an orchestral arrangement. Um, I think it changed the character of the song. I mean, for example, the beginning um, on early versions, I had these uh, choral synthesizer voices, which would, uh, which was um, supposedly, I think I was trying to emulate the effect like the dawn, you know, like the birds are waking. So yeah. I tried to go for a sort of um, a very sort of emotive, earthly sound. Yeah, you had all you had all the tweeting birds on there, didn't you? If I remember rightly, originally on some version, on some yeah. version back there, we did actually have birds, and that was actually an effect from a synthesizer, um, which just I think was called Breaking Dawn something. Um, and then actually, when we came to do the production, for some reason my plugin wasn't working, and I couldn't find the sound anymore. So I thought, what am I going to do? I thought horns, French horns, you know, I mean, typically the beginning of a yeah. of a day or the beginning of a morning. Um, let's stick some French horns in. And if Stuart hadn't suggested turning it into an orchestral piece, I probably wouldn't have come up with that idea. So, and then I think a lot of demos actually ran with the horns at the beginning, but I really liked the synthesizer sound, one of the, one of, one of the um, patches that I used, one of the presets, and I went back and added it almost a week before we'd finished the song on production. So... In effect, we actually have both now. We have the best of both worlds. We have these French horns. I think they're French horns. And we have this original synthesized uh. sound that I like. But um, that was typical for the song. It kind of developed. I think we actually took a year to write it. It must have been quite a long time. It went through various um, various mix downs and various stages. Went um, through a lot of phases. And even today, that last third verse where the drums are there, I, I still listen to it and I still want something to pick the song up a little bit. I, I tried to introduce um, some different elements into the song, um, some different string sounds. Um, and I think the vocal, actually, the credit to the song, of course, I think the vocal carries the entire song. Um, and uh, I was worrying and yeah. obsessing about, you know, that the song wouldn't carry itself. It was all starting to sound a little bit too much the same. Um, you couldn't distinguish from verse to verse and chorus to chorus. But actually, listening back to it, the vocal just carries the whole thing. And the music is almost kind of incidental in the background because for me, uh, the song is all about the message of the song, and um, that's where the emotion yeah. comes from. Definitely, most people say that in any mix, you know, the the, the song, uh, the lyric is king. But in this um, song, it, it never was so true. I mean, literally, the music could just be completely in the background. Um, it's all well, about the emotion, all about the lyric. I kind of have to disagree in some ways on that, Tony, because I think the uh, the musical score... Um, it was very, very carefully and intricately put together. For instance, the heartbeat that you put in on the, uh, when Stuart sings the line, I feel your heartbeat from here, and you put that heartbeat in, and that reoccurs later in the song. And and there's kind of uh, a reprise of certain sounds that only, you know, not even a reprise. Sometimes you only hear them once, yeah. but then you hear that heartbeat repeat in the in the last verse and uh, some of the some of the orchestral phrasing as well i mean i it picks up on that last verse and chorus um without any kind of rhythm or drum track it doesn't need it it's it's there in the swell of the actual sound of the of the instrumentation right. and stewart's vocals especially this uh falsetto bit he does at the end which gets me every time 
I'd forgotten about the uh, the heartbeat. You're right. I think I included that in this so-called now famous uh, third verse that um, I thought needed a bit more um, pepper, um, a little bit more push. Um, it appears during that. And I think that was my last effort. My last effort to try and get what I originally wanted was to just tuck in those heartbeat snare hits. Or it could have been a kick. I think it was a kick drum. And I thought, well, you know, we've got to have something with Mick in the background yeah. here. And I'm sure that if I just tuck them in there, you know, Stuart won't notice them and he'll love them. Yeah. And the bells, of course. You know, the, um, what's it called? The harpsichord type. Not not the harpsichord. Oh. You know, you know, like, like just, just like when. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. if you were a drummer, you'd have lots yeah. of different bells of different sizes and you'd. Yeah. Pull your sticks across it it would do that glittering effect i i think one 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 with the bells is that um the lyric is the 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 chimes is um you had to go to a better place or something like that and i i thought well this is a bit um on you know right on the nose i thought you know because it sounded a bit like i I, this is not a funny subject but i must admit um bring out your dead the sketch from um monty python did come to (laughs) mind as and as he's bringing out the dead he goes bring out your dead bong is one (laughs) ninepence Bong, you know, and uh, oh god, that's that's, that's where I got that the, that, that's where I got. I, I I never wanted to mention that because it's a serious subject, and obviously, you know, it's obviously tragic. No, no. Um, um, it's an emotional lyric, but um, it's amazing where you get inspiration from, even at the the, the darkest of times. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's where I got it, and I thought, okay, well, um, should I do this? I mean, it really is sort of like it's it's a bit of a cliche, um, and I found this typical sort of you know Notre Dame style, you know sort of bell that obviously um, symbolizes something ominous and something tragic has happened. Um, I thought, well, I'll stick it in and I'll see if it works. And it, and it worked. And then Stuart didn't say, no, cut that out. That's too grim. I don't want that. So um, that stuck. And, nah. and at the end, um, you mentioned, John, I've forgotten about that. These, I don't know what you call them, but these bells that have sort of, you know, this ringing chime. Chime. Chimes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Chimes. Um, and th- that came straight from Neil Pert and Rush. I'm sorry. I mean, always on yeah. songs that they, they recorded in the early 70s, like Hemispheres and Xanadu. Um, if you look at or Neil Peart's, um, John Peart, his name was, wasn't it? No, Neil Peart. No, if Neil, you, if, Neil Yeah, Peart. drummer. Neil Peart. If you look at his kit, um, it's just amazing. I mean, he has like a kick drum and a snare, but all these orchestral instruments he has around him, like big kettle drums and these chimes and wind chimes and bells. Um, that's that's where I got the inspiration for that because I thought it was the ending of the song, and I did actually have a couple of tracks like Xanadu and the trees in my in my mind. And always when Rush comes to these quiet moments, it'll always get out. Uh, Neil Neil Pert would always get up from his stall and sort of do a run along these chimes and things. Um, it's amazing and funny how where influences come from. But I I do remember that the early versions we didn't have the falsetto vocal. I mean that was a late addition. Where did you get the idea for that? I did a bit of training um, with a amazing um tutor back in late 80s in london called tona de brett and she 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 um taught various singers including george michael and she, she asked me one of the early questions was who do you think you sound like and i said well i've got a similar register to george michael but i'm not obviously he's a fantastic singer and i'd love to be half as good as him and she said, no, you will be. You, you, you will be if you really keep at it. And I was like, wow, blimey, this is amazing. But she was the one that said to me, your, basically, your normal singing register is, is all comes from air in your chest. It's singers called the head voice because there's no air. You don't use air in your chest. It's all basically in your neck and in your mouth. 
So your head voice is, is your falsetto voice. And I've always had a pretty good falsetto. Um, we got to, I'll, I'll, you know, if you're going to ask me a question later about the development of the, sorry, about the meaning of the words, the, the verses, I'll come to that. But um, I got to a point where to finish the song off somehow. And the end, the original ending of the song was now I can see your face with my elevated falsetto vocal on the line face. I'm oh, sorry, on the word face. And it ended there. I felt I wanted to have a voice from heaven. I wanted to almost to have Helen's voice, if you like. And she'd hate this if she was still with us today. Because she was really, yeah, she didn't like any attention at all. She was a very sort of private person. But I wanted to have a voice from heaven going, now I can see your face. And um, it just felt right. And I thought, yeah, use my head voice because I know it's good. And it actually is the best part of the song for me vocally. I, I'm not desperate about the, the vocal in this song. I didn't. I felt I could do better. But it's such a hard song to sing, to get emotion into. So it was simply that. I just felt I want I want that voice from Hel from heaven. Helen saying, "Yeah, I could see your face too," and that's what that's simply what it was. Yeah, I disagree. I I don't think you could have done any better on this, Stuart. In my opinion. Oh yeah, but you're always you're always your own worst critic, aren't you? As, yeah. as a, any as any musician or a writer and singer would say, you know, you're always like, mm -hmm. oh god, I could have done that better. I, I remember hearing it. I thought it was amazing. Actually, I didn't know that you could sing like that. Um, and uh, I I listened to it and I just thought, oh, you know, he's just grabbed somebody off the street. He's got a session musician to come in and do this. You know, I mean, how can anyone sing like that? It's it's easy and it, it's the easiest register to sing in. To be honest, the, the the falsetto is so easy to sing. I mean, you remember in the eighties that that guy in um, Jimmy Somerville. Do you remember Bonsky and the Communards? He always sang in in his head voice in his falsetto, and he got amazing falsetto voice. And I kind of I always knew that from years ago I could do it well. And just it was a no brainer for me. I just thought this is. You know, this is easy to do, and I want to really get some feel into it. And an old friend of mine, in in um, musical friend of mine, um, said the same thing. He said, "You know, that really makes a song." Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to come back to. Um, it was funny actually. Um, I, I, um, we had a bit of a break. We recorded Angels, um, uh, and uh, we took some time out, didn't we, for a year and a half? And I yeah. remember that a lot of the song ideas I had, I decided I wanted to develop instrumentally because we weren't working together at that particular time. Um, but I always remember when I wrote the music is for I Can See Your Face was that I did have an idea in the back of my mind, and I never spoke to you about it, and this is rather uncanny, is that my point of view was that uh, I wanted to write, if I could write a lyric, um, I called the piece of music Postcards from Heaven. This was completely unknown. Uh, oh, about what about you were, what you yeah. what you were writing, um, and um, I remember listening to um, your idea for the song because I sent the demo off to you without having any idea of what you were going to write, and you sent it back to me. And I remember the first conversation we had. I said that's so uncanny because I actually had this point of view that um, um, it was called Postcards from Heaven, and the idea, of course, was pretty similar to yours. Is that if I had somebody I cared about and that I loved, unfortunately, had gone or I went, is that this would be me sort of sending them, um, them a postcard from heaven and then I would design yeah. the lyric, the idea um, about that. And it was just funny um, that I never wrote the lyric, of course, but the music inspired this idea. And then when you came back to me with 
you know, the, the original version of I Could See Your Face. I remember saying to her, I said, that was really spooky. The song was meant to be. I mean, almost um, yeah. my idea for the, inspired by the music and your lyric. It was just like two ships coming together in the middle of the night. I mean, it was just, it was just perfect. It, it really, it really was. And, you know, so I've got the lyrics here, so I'm just reminding myself and looking at them. But, but it, as a progression as a, in the song, the first verse. Dawn breaks familiar entry. was very much written about my time looking after Helen as she, you know, she declined sadly and I watched her decline in front of my face over two years, you know, in, in front of my eyes rather, over the two years. Um, the second verse um, was, you might recall, in, in the final version we had a, a female voice singing she says, because the second verse is Helen talking to me. And my now wife, my lovely wife, Claire, who, you know, I can't talk about enough because she's amazing. I said to her one evening, darling, would you be okay with doing a couple of words? And and she went, what? Uh, when? Well, how? Why? And I said, on, on a song. She went, you want me to sing? And I said, well, no, just say them. She said, oh, yeah, I can try that. So we, we potted, we went upstairs to the studio and we did it. And we, I just said, all I need you to do is... In your lovely spoken voice, she says, because this is Helen talking to me. And she did it and we put it down on it straight away. Thought, oh my God, that's just perfect. It's only two words, but it just works. So the second verse is Helen saying, I feel your heartbeat from here. I see your hopes and your fears. Care for the ones you love. It's all in you. There is no above. I get slightly emotional even talking about it now, but, but you know, you could probably hear that in my voice, but I'll probably one of the best verses I've ever written and so simple, so simple. And um, yeah, that, that was it. I feel your heartbeat from here. I see your hopes and your fears. And the fact that Claire only spoke two words on the album, it, it was it was a cameo, kind of cameo thing, and, it, and it's just perfect. The only other voice on the album apart from yourself, Stu. Oh, you God, know? yeah, and probably better, than, a lot better than my voice, but anyway. Yeah, well, we're, yeah, we're going to get her to do the next day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. She, so, yeah, it, 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 just, it just developed from there, and, and <clears throat> the final verses where we're we go into the sort of chorus lines, you know, it fell apart at the seams and, and like so many broken dreams. The final verse, the third verse is, night falls familiar and cold, the world is turning as dreams unfold. Little things will happen. Now I know just who I am was written after a death, it was written about my feelings after she died, after a death. So um, I, I love this, this, this lyric because it's a story. It, it really sums up something terrible that's happened to so many people it happens to all you know all of us but really pleased to got something down in words that actually works and um yeah it's a very captivating song as i said i can listen to it and it doesn't matter that i'm playing on it it doesn't matter that tony's done some amazing instrumental stuff on it you know you're just listening to the to the to the lyrics on this song 
as far well, as my only final thoughts and feelings about when when I did this and when I actually recorded it was my motivation was obviously I've said before it's the last song I ever wrote about my late wife but my motivation was very much I wanted to do something that she would have liked as well she and I think she would have liked this because she quite liked she was a great fan of soul great fan of um, Stevie Wonder and and soul music she loved Motown but she also had a great sort of love of ballads and and um, you know emotional songs and I thought if she was here today I think she could sit down and go yeah I kind of like that pretty good pretty good you she'd, she'd have said just yeah, pretty good you old git that's yeah. how she would have said it well it's a it's a fine tribute um Stuart fine tribute yeah but it's as I say it's a sorry Tony go on no I was going to say more people should, unfortunately I mean we want to try and get more people to listen to the song because um I I think that a lot of people this would resonate with many 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 people um I remember that recently um, when I went through my particular um um um, health issues uh, with cancer. Um, you always, of course, think about the worse, and you do try and imagine. Obviously, you know the end game. If everything doesn't run perfectly, obviously results unfortunately either me passing away, um, and then Bettina being left all on her own. And you can quite easily take the lyrics of your song, and anyone can actually put their feet into your shoes and walk the miles that you've walked, and completely In relate any situation. to it. So, yeah. In any situation, yeah. um, but I feel also also what I really like about the song. It's not in your face. It's not subtle. It is subtle. Sorry, that's what I meant to say. Is that you have to listen to the lyrics and listen to them all and listen from the beginning to the end to get the entire story. Um, and I think that's what's actually um, um, you know a tribute to you in your songwriting, um, your lyric writing, um, is that it's such an intelligent and clever lyric um, in my point of view. And you really have to listen to it. Um, and it's not in your face. <laughs> in your face i can see your face it's not actually in your face um but it's not on the nose which is another phrase that i used earlier on um i think yeah. it's a perfect lyric it's just one of those happy accidents a perfect marriage of music and lyrics um and uh yeah i just hopefully that more people will stream it and more people will buy the cd um and i think they would uh, wouldn't be something they'll put on um if they're having a party and friends round but um something that they could listen to um and totally relate to yeah, it is. And I think um, we said it before, uh, you know, it's easy to become really self-indulgent about this lyric and the meaning of this song and how heavy it is and how personal it is. But it wouldn't be anywhere near as good as it is without that amazing arrangement and your input into the music, the musical arrangement on this, Tony, because it's, it, I, I remember at the time, coming back to you on on the chat saying oh i can't believe you've done this this is incredible it really it really surprised me i didn't think you had it in you to come up with something so complete as that and it was just brilliant i i just you know this is brilliant. one of the songs that um um you know I, I'm, I'm getting better at this mixing game and music producing game but this is one song that if i had a wish it would be yeah. I'm going to give this to a uh, a pro engineer and a pro um, uh, a pro mixing engineer or pro musicians. I mean, I couldn't score it. Actually, I do have software that can score it. I would love this. You know, if I had money was no object, I would get an orchestra and say you play it, um, and then I would just get someone to record it. And you know, at Abbey Road Studios, 
and have the whole thing sounding absolutely amazing. So I don't think I, I the arrangement I really enjoyed doing. Um, I, I studied orchestral, um, orchestral music, um, and how orchestras, um, 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 arrange themselves and where they seat. I actually looked at the diagram, um, yeah. how a typical orchestra would actually be arranged on a live stage from the audience perspective. That is your attention to detail. That's amazing. That's what makes you good at what you do. I knew the violins really were going to be sitting, obviously the violins are going to be sitting there on, on, on the left-hand side of the pit. The cellos are obviously going to be over on the right-hand side of the pit. Um, and then the trick was finding out where all the instruments should be and then sort of panning them in the stereo field. I mean, I, again, that's where I wish I was a slightly better mixer is because I think you'd be able to separate out the instruments in the stereo field and you literally, as a listener, would be able to hear mm. them coming from different areas. I think my mix is a little bit too flat, a little bit too stereo. And although you can hear different different elements, the uh, the difference, um, the audience perspective of listening to an orchestra, um, I I just don't have the skills yet. But maybe one day I will. Well, you did a good job. You did a yeah. good job, mate. I'm gonna I'm gonna drop something in here. Sorry, go on, go on. No, I was going to say this would be one of the this would, this would be the first song that I'm going, probably going to do a special audio mix um, when I come to remix all these. Um, um, songs um, um, using uh, Dolby Atmos. Well, I'm not using Dolby Atmos because I don't actually have a Dolby Atmos studio, but using Logic Pro X, you can actually mix using a binaural plugin and you can emulate spatial audio. So um, my plan is to have sort of like violins above your head and below your head and we we'll literally have a 360-degree a experience, hopefully. But this is going to be yeah. the first song that I'm going to t attempt to do a mix. I was going to dro drop something in here because... You know, um, going along with what you're what you're describing there, it's almost the perfect song to for the you know for us to have an orchestral. Uh, sorry, the you know the London Symphony Orchestra doing for us. <laughs> but I'm going to drop something into this that you guys probably don't know. You probably haven't realised this, but um, well, the London Symphony Orchestra to clear it. No, no, no. I always felt from the moment I put the first vocal down and sang this song that it needed a girl singing it from or the whole it needed a girl's voice and i needed a, a really good female vocalist to sing this song i am friends on facebook as a number of people are i guess with um, a mancunian girl lass called ren harview who is an amazing singer she's brilliant and i remember a few years back i messaged her to say hi ren i'm stuart you, you know friends on Facebook, blah, blah, blah. Um, I've got this amazing song that I've written and it really needs a girl's voice. And I, I bought her album, which is fantastic. I said, would you be interested? Bless her, she did reply saying, um, I, 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 I basically write my own stuff. So no, I, I, I'm not going to, you know. Anyway, recently, so that was a no. But I thought, okay, fine. And then I listened again recently to um, uh, watching a, a, a program on telly I was um, listening to Jane Elmore Trading singing Love and Affection. And I went straight online, <laughs> onto her website, and sent her a, an email to say, Joan, would you be in, in, in singing this song? <laughs> no reply yet, oh, that's surprisingly. But <laughs> I still feel one day, if we ever, ever get anywhere with this, um, I would love a, a, a really good female singer to sing this song. Because I think going back to the original idea of it, you know, Moments of Pleasure by Kate Bush. Kate Bush, someone like that could absolutely... Joan, 
bring this no. to life. And Joan has got such Joan, an amazing, Joan, soulful voice. Joan lives five minutes away. From she lives five minutes from you, John. You need to get round there and say, <laughs> Joan, you know my mate Stu sent you this message. Get on with it. Get on with it, love. Come on, come on board. I'll start stalking her house. So to wrap it up, Stu, one final question. Um, um, yeah. Um, such a personal experience, the song for you personally. Um, did it actually help with, with the entire um, healing process, if that's um, one way of putting it? Um, was, it, was, it was it helpful in any way going through the process of writing the song? No, that's, that's really that's a good question, sensitive question too. And I'm, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say actually not really. Um, it did in a way to get, to get ideas down. Um, while Helen was ill and declining, I kept a diary and turned it into a, my own book, which is just, I, I never, ever will release. It's just for family and friends because it's intensely personal. And so that was, that was cathartic. I can see your face was written sort of four or five years after, sorry, it was written about two or three years after Helen died. The lyrics were, were kind of come up with about three years afterwards. Um, it didn't really help me. Um, I was in a difficult place at the time because I'd got into a relationship with an old friend and it wasn't really working. We were just mates and we weren't in love. And I found myself writing this song about someone I did love when I was with someone I didn't. And it made me think this is really weird. The biggest thing that's helped me um, get over everything and, and really get my life back in order was meeting Claire and, and uh, in 2017. And I've never looked back because... Um, we have a, we have an anthem between us, and that is the Proclaimers song, Sunshine on Leith. So go and listen to Sunshine on Leith, because that is all about how I came back from a really dark place to where I am now, and it's all down to meeting a great woman. So, yeah, there you go. Good stuff. So thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope you're enjoying this series where we look at all the songs that we released on our debut album, Where Are the Angels? And hopefully we've given you some insight into the music and the lyrics and the meaning behind all the songs. So we do hope you join us for the next TSE podcast. Until then, cheerio.